It is good to be together on a Wednesday night. You know, when, when we talk about what's really precious and meaningful to us, uh, we talk about our families a lot. We talk about our kids. A number of us in this room talk about our grandkids. Some of us talk about our kids. Some of us talk about our grandkids. Um, we talk about our parents. Uh, we talk about family and how important it is to us. Um, let's, let's just spend a few minutes talking about family and the significance of family for us as a people, as Christians, for our culture in general. Is, is there a lot of difference that you see there in how we feel about family and how the culture around us feels about family. And I, I don't want to be at all critical of my father because my father is responsible for so much of who I am today and dearly loved me and my family I mean, and, and all of us as kids and my mother. But, uh, you know, things were pretty well divided in our house. And... Uh, I'm not sure Dad took out the trash. And, and as soon as I got old enough to mow, he didn't mow the grass. Um, and he, he pretty well, my mother got an allowance that was meant to pay for the groceries. And she had to sneak money out of bed if she was going to do anything else with it. Until he got to the point that he was having some dementia, she didn't know anything about how much money they had or their books or anything until she took all that over. Uh, there's been a lot of change that has gone on, and I think that's, that's a good thing. Right. I, I suppose there's ways in which as, as young people we tend to think, okay, we go off to college, and after that, they're kind of done, and uh, we're off spinning off on our own. When you're on the other end of it, you realize that you never quit being parents, and you are forever parents and things still weigh very, very heavily on you and you're still involved heavily in your family. In addition to your kids, you can now worry about your grandkids and how your kids are raising your grandkids. Well, we all value our families and uh, it may be that, um, that some of us maybe even value our families too much. Um, as we look at some of the things that we'll talk about this evening in terms of Jesus' teaching, Jesus' life. I want to start out just asking you, what, what teachings of Jesus come to mind when you think about the things that he taught that, that built up or strengthened or helped to create, helped to create stronger families? Because I, th I think there are some teachings that especially come to mind that have had Tremendous influence on families from his time forward. The way he treated women, yeah, which was different than was typical. Wasn't it what a great sermon on Sunday morning where, uh, where Eric took us to the passage about let the little children come to me. He certainly had a very different attitude than the disciples did. And uh, in a society in which, as I think Eric pointed out in the sermon, you could decide whether you wanted a child to live or not 
after birth. And many children were, were put out to be picked up as slaves. Or uh, the early Christians in 2nd, 3rd, 4th century often picked them up and, and uh, raised them and adopted them. But uh, many children were, were left uh, to the elements. And so Jesus' attitude towards children makes a tremendous difference. His teaching about marriage. I mean, basically, uh, Mark chapter 10, I've got here in front of me. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's hard to imagine how much influence that has had on a huge part of the earth on uh, keeping marriages together. And it's not the attitude that we see often towards marriage in our society. I remember growing up, the, who, who was, maybe y'all didn't see it the same way, but there was one particular actress who was the person we always talked about when we talked about multiple marriages. Elizabeth Taylor, we could all say it at one time. She actually had eight marriages. I thought it was seven. I looked it up in Wikipedia. It was because two of them were to Richard Burton, and I thought it was seven. So she got married to him twice. But her eight marriages, they were, that was phenomenal. I don't know that that's that phenomenal anymore uh, as, as it was, uh, say, back in the, in the 50s and 60s. Uh, when that was uh, was taking place. But Jesus talks about husbands and wives staying together for life and not being separated. And then Jesus uh, also talks about uh, how we treat our parents. I'm going to look at Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 9. And here he is criticizing the religious leaders of his day for what they do. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what they have, uh, that what that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, and he explains that word here, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Apparently, however this korban thing worked, it was a way that you could sort of declare that stuff that you, were, you had and were using was dedicated to God. Maybe at your death, it's all turned over to God. And therefore, it couldn't be used to take care of your father and your mother. But he, he considers honor your father or mother not to be something that just little children do but something that uh, should be done throughout our lives. 
And uh, many of us have had uh, opportunities, you know, as I look, and I, I know everyone in our audience isn't older like me, but those of you that are, many of you have had opportunities to, uh, to show honor to your father and mother uh, at more difficult times in their lives and to return to them some of the things that, that they've given to you, some small amount of what they gave to you and caring for you. I think uh, to, to take a particular incident of Jesus uh, affirming families, uh, what he does for his mother at the cross is really interesting. So look at uh, John chapter 19. And where are we? I did not write down these verses. Ah, here we are. Verse 30, 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, married the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and we think that this is referring to John the Apostle, John the son of Zebedee, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his own. That strikes me as very odd. Not so much odd that Jesus tries to care for his mother in his dying moments, but odd that his brothers aren't anywhere. And that he doesn't seem to think of, you know, and you've got this whole business of the brothers who seem to be skeptics and unbelievers during Jesus' lifetime, but somewhere pretty quickly after his death, uh, perhaps partly because we're told Jesus appeared to James, one of the brothers specifically, uh, perhaps because of appearances that he made posthumously in his resurrection form, they seem to have completely changed. But it would look like at this point that they're still not on board, that, uh, that he can't, he can't trust to say to her, Mom, James is going to take care of you. But instead looks at John, and John takes her uh, into, into his home. Wasn't John a cousin? I don't, I don't know if it, John the Baptist was a cousin. But John the son of Zebedee, I don't think. I don't think there's a relationship there. Uh, family relationship, but there is a John the Baptist, because their mothers are related. Let's look at Matthew chapter 10. So I've, I've spent half our class getting to the text for the night, the text you will have seen announced. And, and that's, that's because I want us to talk about family, I want us to talk about Jesus' support of family, and then I want us to look at the weirdest I have come plus a purpose statement found on that sheet 
that I gave out a month and a half or so ago when we first started this study. Um, this really stands out as strange in the midst of the various I have come with the purpose statement, the text that we've looked at. Start with verse 34. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And so when, I, when I think about this passage, I sort of I labeled all these passages when we started off as I have come or the Son of Man has come with a purpose statement. I kind of don't think of this one exactly that way. I kind of think of it as I have come with a result statement rather than a purpose statement. Because surely in the light of the things that we've talked about and the light of Jesus' affirmation of family values, he didn't come with the desire to set a man against his father and his daughter against her mother and that a person's enemies would be the members of their own household. So what does this mean? That in spite of, and, and this is part of the reason I wanted us to spend the time talking about how much we value our families at the beginning tonight, is that this statement is going to relativize the value of our families and put Jesus above that. We, most of us have been very blessed, and all of us are very blessed comparatively, but many of us have been raised in Christian homes, and our parents thought it was great when we came and said, I want to be baptized. They were thrilled to death. They might, mine put me off a little bit because I think I was about six. And so they would, they would keep saying, uh, well, let's sit down and talk about that sometime soon. And then they would hope I'd forget it. And I would forget it. And then I bring it up, you know, six months later. Well, let's sit down and talk about that sometime soon. I don't know exactly, Jeff, with the youth ministry, with the children here, how we try to handle anything like that. Um, but, but that, we actually did that with one of our daughters. One of our daughters had a very, very young age. And we said, well, we need to talk about that. I use exactly the tactic that my father used with me. And I'm very thankful that in both cases, everything worked out. You know, they, they kept persisting um, that, uh, that that was what they wanted to do. So there's sometimes some difficult decisions there to make there. But most of us have grown up in a situation in which no one was disturbed. Mike, and in fact, I was going to point to you, Mike, and say, Mike was in a somewhat different situation. Yes, I, I've heard you tell that story before. And I knew you wouldn't mind telling it here. And so I specifically had in mind 
because most of us haven't had a situation in which it was a great disappointment and drove a wedge between us and our parents for us to want to be baptized into Christ by a new Mike head. I didn't remember that this particular verse, actually the very next one was the key one, right? From what you're saying, verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That was the passage that kind of sank into your mind. And you think about this woman, the, the reason that she's been on my mind is this passage has been on my mind for a couple of weeks. And, and that, that woman whose son and husband tried to kill her, none of us have encountered anything that extreme, but we've been in difficult situations. I, I had... Um, I think I've talked to Sam and Vivian about this before. Nancy and I worked for several years with a, a couple that whose American names were Tony and Jenny, and they were from Taiwan. And uh, I really believe that Tony and Jenny both believed in Jesus. And I believe the primary reason they never made a decision before they left here, and as far as I know, have not made a decision at this point in time, had to do with family, had to do with family ties, and had to do with the difficulty of Tony as the oldest son going back and facing his father. And after his father's death, which has occurred, Tony is the oldest son being responsible for the various kind of ancestral rights that he as the oldest son has to take care of, or is supposed to take care of. Those. The family can definitely get in the way. And then tonight we talked about the Afghan situation. Not only in the middle of... A, it, it, the, the reason, one of the reasons there would be only 8% of the population of the Christian of any kind in Afghanistan is those pressures, those family pressures in the Muslim society. But the Taliban kind of ramps that up to a further degree and brings the possibility of death into the picture. So I think I was 11 when I was finally baptized, and we were in a tent meeting. Uh, some of you still remember tent meetings. A lot of you still do. Uh, looks, the tents looked somewhat like fireworks tents. <laughs> uh, so we would, we would go to these tent meetings, and I was in a tent meeting about an hour from, the, from our church building. They brought me back there. Uh, to be baptized after the tent meeting. Yeah, my, my wife has a somewhat similar story about her dad and her mother's faithfulness and her dad finally deciding to be baptized when the guy whose last name was Sinopiatis, he was uh, from Greece. And you remember, a few people might remember that name. 
And apparently, I never heard him preach, but apparently he was a man's man kind of guy. And uh, he baptized several people in exactly that same position at uh, my wife's little church. And her dad was baptized at that time. So it's kind of like probably Jimmy Allen did that in many places that he went as well. Let's, uh, let's look at a couple more passages kind of quickly here that essentially make the same point uh, of the value of uh, Christ uh, over human families. Let's turn to Mark chapter 30. This one, this one I would think would have really upset his brothers and sisters, maybe his mother. Uh, Mark chapter 3, we're told that um, in verse 20 and 21, when Jesus entered a house, again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not able even to eat. And his family heard about it. They went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. It's not perfectly clear, by the way, in the underlying text who the they is. And it's not exactly clear in the English either. It doesn't mean they were hearing that and so they went to take care of it. Or does it mean that some of the family members were saying he's out of his mind. When they get there in verse 31, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. And standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And then what he says after that must have taken the breath away from most of the people that were standing there. Because they have pretty strong ideas about family in this time as well. Who are my mother and my brothers, he said. Then he looked around at those seated in a circle around him and said, Hear, my mother and my brothers, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Boy, that's strong. I, I think he's making essentially the same point. I, I don't think he's trying to show disrespect and callousness towards especially his mother, although this statement I imagine a lot of people were jolted that he made such a statement, but I think it's essentially the same point. And let's look at one other place where he even goes further down the same road, I think making the same point again, and that's in Luke chapter 9. These followers that come, or that he wants... Begin in verse 59 of Luke chapter 9. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, first let me go and bury my father. What you want Jesus to say is, okay, that's the reason why we're crossed. In a little while I'll see you. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord. I presume he called him as well. I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. 
And Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Those are, those are strong statements. And they all, I think, make the same point, essentially, as the point that we've been talking about. And that is, however valuable our families may be to us, Jesus has to come first. And we can't, as Christians, think of Christianity and following Christ as a good way to bring our family together and do good things for our family and it be kind of subservient to our family. Our family be our number one value and serving Christ be a way of benefiting that. Christ has to be on the very top. And uh, if he's not, then that's not what he's calling us to and not what he wants from us. He wants to be first in our lives.